This week is Christmas. Something just came to your mind. A feeling came over you. When we say Christmas, lots of things come to mind. Some positive, happy thoughts, happy experiences, happy memories. Some negative, some things that bring us sadness. Sometimes Christmas can be stressful, stir up painful memories. Or maybe even both come over you as you think about Christmas. Christmas is full of joy. It should be. The birth of Christ should bring joy both for this week, this day, and throughout the year. But what if I don't feel joy? What is joy really anyway? I want you to hang on to these thoughts and feelings that you have about Christmas. Can you imagine how Mary felt? young woman who had just been betrothed to be married. She was engaged to be married. This was her big moment. This is her moment that she goes from childhood to womanhood. This is her big transition. And as far as we can tell from the Bible, that this was a good relationship. The families had found a good match. It seemed her and Joseph got along. They loved each other. This was a good marriage. This was going to be a great relationship. So she was excited, and in the midst of that, in the midst of that, an angel appears and says, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. You will be the mother of the Messiah. What? The Messiah, the one that's been promised for generations, the one who's going to deliver my people from oppression? I'm going to be the mother? Of the Messiah? Miraculously? A miracle. What must have Mary been feeling? The angel continued, Your will, your relative, Elizabeth Barron, will have a child, is pregnant at this very moment. What is Mary feeling? And Mary responds, May it happen, let it be so. And she rushes off. She goes to Elizabeth, and there Elizabeth greets her. And as Mary steps into the house, Elizabeth's child jumps in her womb. And Elizabeth exclaims with a glad greeting. And she says, blessed are you, Mary. And this should should take us back, all the way back to what Mark's been talking about with Abraham. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as faithfulness. Mary believed and it's counted to her as faithfulness. And so Mary responds in a song. We get a glimpse into what she's feeling. She sings with all of her heart to God. Sometime later she returns home. And there's a census called. Mary, at least three months pregnant, rides 70 miles on a donkey. What must Mary be feeling at that moment? And so Mary, far from home, 
in the midst of a crowd, in the midst of hurry, in the midst of this turmoil of a census, has a baby. She puts him in a feed trough because there's no more room. What must she be feeling? Shepherds come to see her baby. Strangers, grisly men from the field, appear at her baby's bedside. What must she be feeling at this? As they tell her of these angels who had appeared and declared that the Messiah had been born and we came to see him. What must have Mary been feeling? We're told Mary treasures all these things in her heart. What must she have been thinking and feeling? They, Mary and Joseph, faithful as they can be, they do what they're supposed to. Eight days later, they go to the temple, present Jesus to be dedicated, and there an old man, Simeon, blesses and says, Jesus will cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. And at the words of Simeon, the prophet Anna worships and declares to all those around her of the coming of the Messiah, what must Mary be feeling? An undercurrent of Mary's story of Jesus' life in the entire biblical record in the New Testament that follows Jesus is joy. It's a three-letter word that we see throughout the New Testament. We look at Philippians, it occurs over 26 times in that one letter alone. But this three-letter word, we so often hit it, we bounce off of it and keep going. And many times in this season, we sing of joy. So this begs the question, what is joy? Our gut reaction may say joy is simply an emotion of excitement, an emotion of elatement. And to a certain extent, I think this is true, but I think there's something more, there's something fuller, something bigger going on here. That is joy. So to find the meaning of joy, I think we have to get behind joy. And we have to ask, what moves us? What reaches down into our core and moves us? What is joy? What causes it? So if we are going to get behind it, I think we can look in the Bible and we can actually get behind a little bit the joy that we hear there. And we can get a biblical definition of joy. So these first two chapters of Luke are filled with people who are joyful. So I think it's a good place to look and ask ourselves, what moved them? Mary walks into Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth's baby starts doing backflips, and Elizabeth gives a glad cry. She is moved by the Holy Spirit. The Messiah has arrived. Mary responds with a song about how awesome and faithful God is. The Messiah has arrived. At the birth of John the Baptist, Zechariah prophesies, And he declares praise because of God's faithfulness. The Messiah is here. Shepherds got news. The Messiah is born. This was supposed to bring great joy. The shepherds hurried to see. And after they saw, they told everyone, the Messiah is here. Angels couldn't contain their excitement and their joy. They filled the skies and sang praises to God. The Messiah is here. Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit to the temple 
to see Jesus. And he says, I have seen my salvation, and he will be a joy to many others. The Messiah is here. Anna overheard and praised God and told everyone about baby Jesus. The Messiah is here. What moves you? Clearly here at Jesus' birth, people are moved by the arrival of the Messiah. From these people's experience, it's clear that joy is linked to the arriving of the Messiah, the faithfulness of God. So as we try to define joy, not as it, only is it important to ask ourselves what moves us, but if we're to understand the arriving of Messiah, the Messiah, the term, is one who frees us from oppression. So we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to understand joy, not only do we need to know what moves us, but what holds us down, what burdens us, what keeps us back, what wounds us, what is not right. For the Jews at this time, the concept of Messiah was one of deliverance and national identity and national pride. The Messiah was going to free us from national oppression. So is this all joy is about? This restoration of the nation of Israel? Were these people at Jesus' birth only joyful because they felt that their nation was going to be restored, that Rome was going to be kicked to the curb? I think if we take a closer look, we'll see... That for them, joy was something more. Their oppression was something different. Zechariah, an old barren man, barren without a child, barren in spirit, after year after year of weary prayer for a son, but no son to care for him or pass on his name, overlooked. Elizabeth, a barren woman, cut off from the other women, The pain of not being able to share a mother's love with a child. An outcast because she cannot participate in the normal stages of life. Isolated. Mary, a young woman, voiceless in a community ruled by rules that are made only for men. Discounted because of her youthfulness from a valueless class of society. Invisible. Simeon, a devout man, clinging to life to see hope, desperate. Anna, a widowed prophet, living devoted to God. She had lived without the love of her life for around 80 years. Loneliness. Shepherds. A thankless job, working 24-7, caring for every need of the sheep. Eat, sleep, and live at work. Forgotten. Joy is the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah has arrived into the full human experience. The Messiah has arrived into the overlooked, the isolated, the invisible, the desperate, the lonely, and forgotten corners of the world. God chose these people specifically to be a part of the arrival of the Messiah, to declare that the Messiah didn't come to be a light in a dim room. The Messiah came to be a light in the darkness. The darkness, not lights out dark, darkness that's caused by rebellion from God, darkness caused by sin, darkness caused by pure evil. The Messiah came to arrive in the darkness. 
the Messiah has arrived. We would be mistaken to think that these individuals had the whole Messiah thing figured out from the beginning, that they had all knowledge that their contemporary understanding of a national restoration wasn't a part of their joy. It probably was, but the responses go far beyond that. These people declare, because they declare that there will be forgiveness of sins, and they profess to see salvation, which has been prepared for all people. A light to reveal God to all nations. Angels don't fill the skies, and babies don't do womb gymnastics just because a military leader has arrived. You know, something else is going on here. Generations of prophets had called the Israelites to change the way that they lived their life. The book of Judges has leaders of Israel who said, come this way, follow me, let's walk with God. And they were able to get some to come with them, but then they would die. And then we're told another generation would rise that did not know the Lord. And over and over again, this pattern happened and things got worse and things got worse. And then God sent the prophets. And the prophets came and they preached and they told people. They said, repent of your sins. Stop your corruption. Return to God. Care for those who are in need. Over and over, generation and generation, they called for a reorientation of life. And the same responsibility was picked up by John the Baptist. He called people to Repent to a reorientation of life. If you have two shirts, give one to those who don't have one. If you have food, give it to those who don't have any. He called for a reorientation for life. And Jesus' birth calls for a reorientation of life. No, the birth of Jesus is a reorientation of life. And joy is found in the reorientation of life. The Messiah has arrived and he is bringing a reorientation. The sacred had entered the ordinary. Reorientation. The sacred had entered the ordinary. God entered humanity. John's gospel tells us that the always existing word became flesh and brought us God's unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus, fully God, fully man, is born. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, is born. That is the mystery and miracle of Christmas. Contrast the prophecies that we see in the beginning of Luke 2 and in Luke 1. Contrast the angels and the declarations and the, you know, the majestic coming of Jesus with the end of Luke 2. And then Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature. Jesus came to enter the ordinary. Since the fall of humanity, when humans rebelled against God, the ordinary has yearned for the holy, but fallen short time and time again. So the holy joined the ordinary, 
Joy is Jesus entering into the full human experience. Even the dark corners of humanity. Even coming to those who have been thrown away. Years later, in Luke 21, Jesus is standing in the temple courtyard with his disciples. And they're watching this scene unfold. People are coming in, doing their worship in the temple. And there at the gate of the temple was a big box to put your monetary gifts and offerings, your tithes and offerings. And so they're watching folks as they're coming in, dropping off their tithes and their offerings. And rich people would come up to the box and drop in large sums of money. I'm sure the disciples are even standing there next to each other going, Elbinger, hey, that guy just dropped like a million bucks into that box. That's awesome. Like, whoa, that guy must be really faithful. And then a woman enters, a widow. She drops two little coins in the box. I'm sure that the disciples probably didn't even notice her. They're probably standing there, and she just slipped quietly, placed her offering in the box, and kept walking. But Jesus makes sure that they don't miss it. He says, did you see that woman? Did you see what she did? She gave more than all the rest. Um, Jesus, did, did you fail kindergarten? Because last time I checked, uh, two is less than a lot. No, she gave everything she had. She gave her life. That's her livelihood, and she put it in the box. Jesus' birth is the woman who gave everything. Jesus gave everything to come to earth. Philippians 2 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He was the unexpected gift. Jesus' birth reorients the relationship between humanity and God. From law and duty to sacrificial love. The rich of Jesus' day were fine with worshiping God. Bring some money, kill some animals, go home, eat an awesome lunch, get up the next day, go to work. And things continue as normal. God's happy. I'm happy. But Jesus confronted them. He was clear in his teaching to the religious of the day. What are we to do? Love God with everything. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, who's my neighbor? The outcast. The overlooked. The isolated the invisible, the desperate, the lonely, and forgotten. And Jesus did just that. And it all started in a feed trough. God had no duty to save humanity. In disgust, he could have scrapped everything. He could have crushed humanity like we do a mosquito on a hot summer day. But God's love for us compelled him to send Jesus. Long before we get to the sacrifice of the cross, we have the sacrifice of the feed trough. If you want to see God's love, yes, you can look to the cross, but don't overlook the feed trough. God became flesh. 
Jesus' first sacrifice was come to earth to become human. Joy, then, is God's sacrificial love breaking into creation. Joy is God seeking out cold, dead, sinful hearts. Joy is Jesus' redemption of what appeared unredeemable. Mary marveled at the faces of the shepherds gathered around her baby. She had been told that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, but now she was seeing it. Grown men drawn from the fields, standing around her child, declaring, this is my salvation. She must have been struck Not only about that scene, but who had been given the message of the Messiah's birth. For so long, the religious leaders of her day had drawn strict lines in the sand of who was in and who was out. Who had value and who did not. Who would have a voice in society? Who would have a voice in worship? But before Jesus even uttered a word, his birth undid all. All of that undid all of those categories, all of those strict boundaries. Because we have, as we have mentioned, it's the overlooked and the isolated and the invisible and the desperate, the lonely and the forgotten corners of the world who had been invited to participate in the birth of Jesus. Jesus came not as a man, but a helpless baby. Not to a wealthy family of great influence. No, instead to a young working family. Matthew and Luke both are careful to record Jesus' family tree. The line of promise. And what a family it is. A messy family of people who were full of scandal and sin. And foreigners, outsiders, but God lovers. Luke is quick to point out throughout his gospel all the different people Jesus ministered to who were considered by society to be outsiders. Lepers, Gentiles, demon-possessed, sick, tax collectors, children, and on and on the list would go. No one was invisible to Jesus. And there's no doubt that Luke was intentional about the way he recorded the account Of Jesus' birth. In Jesus' birth, there's a reorientation of who has value. Zechariah, an elder faithful priest, struggles to believe an angel. But a young woman, a discounted person, is found faithful in awe of the message she receives from an angel. In fact, Luke takes great care to highlight the role women play. The Holy Spirit comes on Mary and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth blesses Mary. Mary responds deep from within her soul with a praise song. Anna is one of the first messengers of the gospel. She hears Simeon's prophecy and declares it to everyone she meets. The shepherds, the working class, not the priests at the temple or the religious leaders in the court are the first to hear of the Messiah's arrival. As Luke gathers these accounts of Jesus' birth, he must have been struck by the significance of these events, and he is very careful to record them. 
Joy comes in the shattering of boundaries. God is not for some. God is for all. Jesus came to save all the world, redeem all creation. Joy is the message that God has shown up in flesh, loves us, and is for all people. So if joy is going to be more than an emotion, that is, we're going to experience the joy we are promised that Jesus brings, we have to understand that Jesus is the key to joy. Jesus' birth is a reorientation. At Jesus' birth, the sacred joins the ordinary in a free sacrifice that declares redemption is for all. The biblical joy is not an emotion of elation that we so often simplify joy to being. That is only a part. Joy is so much more. Joy is the arrival of the Messiah. Joy is the reorientation of our lives. And joy is seeing things with a new perspective Experiencing a wild, untamable love marked by sacrifice. A hope because God is there in the midst of our ordinary. Peace in the middle of the storms of life because there is not a darkness that Jesus will not enter. A new perspective that declares we have an everlasting lighthouse. Joy comes with redemption. When Jesus' light pierces our darkness, our Messiah has arrived. Joy is a sigh of relief. The sweet, deep breath of fresh air. The uncontainable response to God, the creator of the universe. Joy is being moved to worship God beyond our capacity. Bursting at the seams in response at his mighty work. Our ordinary trying with all its might to cry out to his extraordinary. A new dawn breaking. This is joy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your joy that you so willingly shared. Even though it cost you everything. Break into our darkness this week. Let us experience fully your joy. God, I pray where we struggle that you would bring our hope and our confidence. Where we need wisdom, that you would bring wisdom. And that you would just bring excitement where we have celebration. And be with us as we turn our eyes to the manger and to remember that God is laying there in the feed trough because he loves us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name.